have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and keep them open to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to be using the Bible a little more than I have in the recent sermons. So I would begin by way of introduction, uh, not really apologizing that you're going to be using the Bible, but just kind of giving you a fair warning that uh, that is what we're going to do. And as Julie said, we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 2. Well, this is the big day. Um, everybody's made preparations for it, and all the plans are made, and everybody's so excited. Now, you may be thinking I'm talking about the Super Bowl. I'm not. I'm talking about the Lord's Day. And so we're going to talk about the importance of the Lord's Day. As I begin studying our text, working through the first three chapters of Genesis, um, I have to tell you that I came back to this text and I assumed that I knew just about everything I could know about these first three chapters. And God proved me wrong uh, as I began to study them, even last week and again this week. And in the first chapter, we saw that in the first three days of creation, God formed the earth. And then the second three days, we saw that God filled the earth. And today, we come to the seventh day. And as you have your Bibles open, and I know Julie's read the scriptures, but I'd like for us to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and I'd like to read verse 31 with chapter 2, verse 1. And we all know the chapters and verses were added at a later time. There's no, there's, that's not inspired, um, but this is uh, given uh, to us to, to help us. So let's read it this way. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So here is completion or creation completed. God's creation is suspended perfectly in orbit, formed and filled with all of his perfect creation. The conclusion of the sixth day, we have a beautiful picture of the heavens and earth as in the translation Julie read, arrayed in all their majesty. God caps his creation with the perfect creation of humankind, of man and woman. There's nothing left at the end of the sixth day for God to do. This is important. All of God's creative expression was made in these six days. And in verse 31 of chapter 1, it says this. God said, it was very good. Now we come to the seventh day. The seventh day is significantly different than all the other days that we've been looking at. For instance, let me give you a few things. There is no, then God said in this account. It's not delineated with the usual closing of evening and morning. 
It was the only day to be called blessed. It was the only day God made holy. And it was not mentioned once like the other three or the other six days. But the seventh day is mentioned three times. Let's go to verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day, there's twice, from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, there's the three times, and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. In other words, seventh day is said in scriptures when something's said three times, kind of like you, you're making an inference. You're making a great, something of a great importance. So the seventh day stands apart from all other six days in its solitary grandeur of the crowning of all days. It's the ultimate destiny for all of creation. This is what God was working up to. And so we're going to look at the seventh day. Then we're going to look at the Sabbath. Then we're going to look at Jesus as the Sabbath. And finally, I'll bring it back around to the importance of the Lord's day. Now, some of you may come to this text with some presuppositions that may not be accurate as I did. Let's look at the seventh day. It was the first time it was to be made holy. It's the first time the word holy is mentioned in our Bibles. We all know that from being in church that holy means to be set apart. But Dr. John MacArthur says that rather than just being set apart, he says that what a better translation of this inference or this point of holiness is here is it's not only set apart, it's elevated. In other words, God's saying the seventh day is set apart and elevated above all other days. And there are three reasons that it's elevated and set apart. And it's here in our text. First, in chapter 2, verse 2, it says the seventh day God finished his work. Everything that was meant to be created was created. In other words, God's saying it is finished. It's complete. Now, for Christians, we are people of the Creator. We do not believe that it went on for millions and millions of years. It didn't go on for billions and billions of years. In six 24-hour periods, God formed and filled the earth. That's what the Bible says. God created the earth in six days. And it was perfect. It was finished. It was good. And the reason he set it the seventh day apart is he looked back on the six days and he said, this is very good. My creation is wonderful. I am satisfied. The Bible says, there's another verb in our text. It says he rested. The word rested here means to cease from labor. In other words, in, in, from God's perspective, he stopped creating. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm being repetitive intentionally. Why did he stop creating? Because there was nothing else to create. 
God had created a perfect garden paradise. He had created the perfect creation. He had created a perfect man and woman. He had established exactly what he had done. There was nothing left to do. So he ceased from creating. Now, God doesn't need to rest. God did not need to be replenishing his energy. The Bible's very clear that God never rests in that sense. He never slumbers. The psalmist says in Psalms 121 that he never sleeps or slumbers. But what he did do on this day was he ceased from his creative work because he was satisfied. Omnipotence needs no rest. Now notice, here's something else that maybe you've already picked up on. There was no rest required for man either. Perfect man didn't need rest. This is not the mandate for for mankind or humankind to rest. This is pre-fall. This is the Garden of Eden. This is the Garden of Paradise. This is man and woman being in all their perfect glory. The next time we see God doing something, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 3.21. This is the next time we see God doing anything. It's after the fall, and in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So the next time God does anything is after the fall. And then he drove him out of the garden. So God finished his work and he rested. And then finally, our text says, he blessed it. It's holy because it's done. It's holy because there's nothing else to do. It's holy because he blesses it. This seventh day is pointing out that there's something special, life-giving, a rest that only God can give. This day is to be elevated above all other creation. This day would be set apart for us to remember creation and the creator. Every seventh day based on the Bible is a reminder of the creator. Do you realize that our world is ordered in seven days? No matter where you go. It's a seven day pattern. It's a series of sevens. Why is that? It's because of what the Bible says. This is the way God ordained it. Every Saturday, let's be clear, the Sabbath or the seventh day is Saturday. Every Saturday is a reminder of the Creator God, of His perfect creation power, of what God had done. Every Saturday is a perpetual witness of the creator when you take away the creation you are defaming god the creator that's why genesis 1 and genesis 2 in the book of genesis in the old testament is so important it tells us how we got here the other thing i want you to understand about this seventh day or i'd like to suggest is our text says this was about God. This was not about man. Nowhere in our text is man mentioned. Let me read verses 2 and 3 again. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He, meaning God, rested on the seventh day from all of 
his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all of his work that he'd done in creation. The seventh day is about God. It's about God's glory and God's grandeur and God's perfection. The seventh day is this perpetual reminder of our Creator. The first time we see the Sabbath is over in Exodus. So turn with me. So more like a little bit of a Bible study, but just turn with me. The first time we see the word Sabbath mentioned is in Exodus 16, but we won't go there. Most of us are familiar with Exodus 20. Genesis, Exodus, the 20th chapter. Let's see the very first time the word Sabbath, which means rest, is mentioned. Now, let me give us a little bit of perspective. The fall has happened. Mankind has fallen from God's grace, been driven out of the garden, and now we go through the patriarchs, or we start going through the the uh, the, uh, the the lineage of the uh, Genesis, and we Israel's delivered into captivity in Egypt. They're under oppression. God's going to deliver them, and so when God delivers them, He gives them a law or rules or ways that saved people should react and live by. And so right in the middle of the law are these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Centuries after the garden We have this Sabbath. Why? Flip over with me to chapter 31. You have to go through this process. Exodus 31, verses 12 and following. And the Lord said to Moses, You're to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbath, For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Who does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout generations as a covenant. There's a word we need to be paying close attention to. It is, here's the second time it's mentioned, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, 
And on the seventh day, he, re he rested and was refreshed, or in other words, he ceased. The Sabbath. Why do we have the Sabbath? It's to be a sign. It's to be a sign of a covenant. Let me see if this will help. When God gave Noah the Noahic covenant, when God gave Noah a, a sign that he wouldn't destroy the world, he did it by putting what as a sign? Anybody? A rainbow. When God made a covenant with Abraham that in order to be a participation in the covenant of God's people, that you need to be cleansed and clean, God gave a sign of the covenant, and it was called circumcision. A rainbow and a circumcision. Now in the Mosaic covenant, chapter 31 is very clear. The Sabbath shall be a sign of the covenant of Moses. It's a sign that they're different from everybody else. It's, it's, a, it's a sign of the covenant that there are people following the creator of the universe, the Lord God of Israel. It's very simple. This sign is making sure they all understand that God is the creator. So they work six days and they stop on the seventh in order to look back and to remember that God created everything. They're finite. It's not about them. It's about God. That's the first thing the sign does. We are the creation, not the creator. And the second thing that it does in the Mosaic law is to remind the children of Israel they have forfeited paradise. They have been removed from the garden because of sin. Not only is the seventh day to remind them of creation, the seventh day is to remind them of the law. It points not only to the grandeur of creation, but it also points to them that they are sinful and need forgiveness. Do you see a theme developing here? They need to be forgiven. They've lost the perfect paradise of the Garden of Eden. They've lost their stature of righteousness. And only by righteousness can they go back? And so therefore, God institutes a seven-day system to be a reminder. To be a reminder of obeying God's law. To be a reminder that sin is the issue. And to be a reminder that the only way to be restored is through repentance and faith in God. This was a sign for the people of Israel. And it was unique to them. This is in Mosaic law. But you know what happens? When Jesus comes, he changes everything. That's a good place for people to say amen. When Jesus comes, he turns the world upside down. He takes what was shadowed for his coming he takes the signs of his coming. He takes all the prophecies of the prophets of his coming. And Jesus says he came to do what? To fulfill the law. He came to be all that was pointing to him. <coughs> Excuse me. He came to bring a new covenant. Again, I told you this is more like a Bible study. Let's go 
to the New Testament. Let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. Just so we're clear, there's the seventh day. It's for God. It's created holy. It's because he's finished his work. It's because there's nothing left to be created. It's he's ceasing from it, and he's blessed it. He's setting it and elevating it above. So every seven days, we're reminded that God is the creator. The fall happens. The children of Israel are delivered into bondage and impression in Egypt. That's the, that's the history of the children of Israel. God delivers them by the hand of Moses. He gives Moses this law. He writes on the tablet the Ten Commandments. Right in the middle of the Ten Commandments comes this sign or a shadow, if you will, of some type of rest. This perpetual garden paradise. They knew that. This was not a foreign concept for them. And then we come to one of the most Jewish letters in our New Testament to the book of Hebrews. And let's just take some time to go through the first 13 verses. Listen carefully to the word of God. Therefore, now let me stop. The writer of Hebrews is trying to take all the things of Judaism, Moses, angels, covenants, priesthood, sacrifices, and he's writing saying that Jesus is better than all of that because Jesus is all of that. He is the sacrifice. He is the great high priest. And so now we come to the Sabbath rest. Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. He's talking about the Israelites, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, for we who have believed, Enter that rest, as he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. So the writer of Hebrews is going back to Genesis 2. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. They did not get to go to the rest because they were sinful, is what he's saying. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken out of another day later on. So he's saying if the children of Israel, when they went into the land of Egypt, or into the promised land out of Egypt, if that had been all that God had promised them, there would have been nothing else to say. It would have stopped with Joshua. But what was Joshua? He was a type of what? Christ. So he's pointing to this. So verse 9, 
So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the church. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the spirit and joints and marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom he must give an account. Well, there you have it. The writer of Hebrews is saying this. The Sabbath rest is Jesus. Jesus is our rest. He fulfilled the perpetual seventh day of creation. He is our Sabbath. The one true rest that we may have is only by knowing the righteousness and holiness of Christ. Jesus fulfilled this rest by giving us salvation, by grace alone, not from works. We don't labor for our salvation, but rather we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Do you get it? There's perfect rest in creation. It was messed up. God kicks them out and he has to give them a reminder, a sign that there is a day coming that they can go back to this paradise. And perpetually they have been looking for this. Every seventh day they have a Sabbath to stop and remember God. And now Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the rest that you're looking for. You don't believe me? Some of you are looking puzzled. I understand because you thought I was going to get up here and tell you that you couldn't do this and couldn't do that on Sunday. And that's not what the Bible says. Look with me to Matthew chapter 11. Again, this is more like a Bible study. But I want you to see what's going on. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now here's words that we often quote. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take upon my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't close your Bibles. Go straight over to chapter 12 and some of your Bibles will have a heading that says, Jesus is Lord of what? The Sabbath. Look in verse 8. Jesus makes it clear in case we 
are sure to miss it. He tells the people, he says, come to me who are weary and I will give you rest. And in verse 8 of chapter 12, he says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Dear friends, let me bring it around. All that striving to be good enough all that worry about if you're doing everything all right, all that frustration with all that's going on in the world, just as the Israelites were to stop one day a week from their labors to realize that God is the creator so they can trust God, we must stop one day a week to realize that we rest in Christ. Let me tell you why everything's okay today. Because when you rest in the saving work of Jesus Christ, no matter what happens to you, it's all okay. You're saved. You're going to paradise back to the eternal state because of Christ's righteousness and because of Christ's holiness. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to worry if you've done too many sins to be forgiven. You don't have to work for your salvation. You can rest in Christ. Stop striving. Stop working. But start trusting. Some of us are weary. Our lives are filled with anxious thoughts and anxious ways and lack of trust. And I know it's because it's true for me. It's true for me. What are you worried about this morning? What is so big and troubling that you can't rest in Christ? I will die one day. And I'm resting in the fact that I'm going to be with God because of what Jesus did for me, not because of what I've done. If, if I heard David say it in Sunday school this morning, if God took another leg, okay. Why? That's terrible. Because he's resting in Christ. It's not about this body. It's not about this world. It's about knowing that the greatest problem we have is the greatest problem Israel had, and it's called disobedience. We're plagued by the cancer of sin. We're marred and blemished by the fact that we've turned our backs against a holy God. And the rest that the Bible is talking about, the rest of the, of the Ten Commandments, is to rest in Christ. So that brings us to the Lord's day. So, do we keep the Sabbath? Well, we don't. Sabbath is from the evening of Friday night to the evening of Saturday night. It's the Sabbath is the sixth day. And we're not Sabbatarians. But there are Christian Sabbatarians, and the Reformers were. There's a sect of Christianity that's called Seventh-day Adventist, and I would struggle with some of their theology, or if not most of it, but they believe that they should keep the Sabbath, the Saturday, holy. But 
the Christians of the early church chose another day. They chose the Lord's Day. That's why we call Sunday the Lord's Day. That's why I've made a practice here of calling Sunday the Lord's Day. Because what we come to today is the day of the Lord. This is the Lord's Day. It's to commemorate just as the Saturday was to commemorate creation. This day is to commemorate and celebrate our Savior. It's the seventh day. It's the first day of the week, not the seventh day. For instance, quickly, I'm going to read really fast. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day. Jesus preached the first sermon on the first day to the people of the road to Emmaus. Jesus appeared to the disciples on the first day of the week. He appeared to the eleven on the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit came on Pentecost on the first day of the week. Peter preached a sermon on the first day of the week. 3,000 people were converted on the first day of the week. Christians assembled and broke bread according to Acts on the first day of the week. Paul mentions it in Acts 20 that they were gathered on the first day of the week. And you think my preaching's long? Go read Acts 20. There was a guy that Paul was preaching, the greatest theologian ever. He fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. None of you are dead yet. You may feel like you're dying, but you're not. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, the John, the Apostle John, the Revelator, said that he was in the Spirit, caught up in the Spirit on the island of Patmos on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. So why do we gather on Sunday? I'm going to close my message this way. This is not at all how I intended to preach this sermon when I put it down on paper. The point is this, we gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day, to communicate just like the children of Israel communicated on the sixth day, something's different about us. We are here today because we're different, and we need to communicate to the world around us and to our family and to our friends and our co-workers and our neighbors and the strangers around us that we're different, we're a peculiar people, we're weird, we are different because of our Savior. And there are five things about this Lord's Day that I'd like for you to remember. Here's why it's important. One, we set it aside. We mark it off as special. This is a day unlike any other day of the week. It's separate and elevated. It's holy. It's because it's the day Jesus came back. I told Kim last night, I went to Kroger, and there was, a, there was more people in Kroger yesterday than were there for Christ, before Christmas. And why? Because of a football game. Now, I'll probably watch it, and I like it. But let me tell you something. I'm more excited about this gathering this morning at 1030 because of what Jesus did than all the Super Bowls in all the world's. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. I'm serious. And yes, I'm preaching, now meddling, even stepping on toes. If you can't come in here and get excited about what Jesus has done, then maybe you don't know Jesus. There'll be 100,000 people hooping and hollering in just a few hours. But yet if a preacher gets up or somebody stands up or somebody sings really loud about Jesus who saved me, they're weird or I don't like them, or they're strange. 
We gather here so everybody, when, when Kim and I passed our neighbor going down the road this morning, we waved. She knew we were coming to church because this day's different. We gather because it's different. We also gather. We gather. It's something we do together. You can't, it's just not the same if you're not here. It's, it's fun being together. And some of us need to learn that, that it's fun to come to church by the looks of you. Some of you don't think it is. It's okay to smile in church. There's no Old Testament or New Testament law against smiling in church. We gather to be together. The third thing we do is we experience the means of grace. What are the means of grace? Word, the preaching, hearing from God, prayer, speaking to God, and fellowship. We set it aside. We gather together. We experience the means of God's ordinary grace given to us. Fourth, we do it in worship. We worship the one true God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We sing because we have something to sing about. There's a lot of people get made a lot of money to sing about broken relationships and some guy getting their dog killed and getting ran over by a train. I mean, I love the perfect country song. I, the day my mama got out of prison. I mean, I love that song. But that's not going to save me. But this morning I'm gathering in worship and I'm hearing people pray and I'm reading scripture and God's feeding my soul and we're going to come to the Lord's table because of what Jesus did. I'm resting in Christ. I'm elevating in public worship. And finally, yes, we get to cease from our normal activities. Not because it's a law against it. We can do whatever we want to on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. But this day is the Lord's day, so it is different. So I'm not going to do the things I typically do on this day because Jesus resurrected from the dead and it's a special day and I'm celebrating what Jesus has done and I'm rejoicing in the cross because I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven and Jesus saved me. Isn't that good news? And I know that no matter what sickness comes, no matter how much trouble comes, no, there's one day I'm going to be at a great banquet in heaven. We don't have to come to church I've heard people say this repeatedly. Kim said it, and I think Gordy said, we don't, we, we don't have to do a lot of things. We get to. We get to come to church. We get to worship. We get to tell people Jesus is our everything. We get to come to the best day of the week. This is it. This is as good as it gets. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if anything else in the other 167 hours of the week stokes your fire more than this, you need to get on your knees before a holy God and start praying and repenting and confessing your sin because this is the best day of the week. This is the day we get to say, this is the day the Lord has made. We get to come and rejoice and sing that Jesus is our delight. He's our delight. And so we come to the Lord's table. Just as a rainbow is a sign, just as circumcision is a sign, just as the Sabbath was a sign, we're going to take bread and a cup and they're going to be a sign. A sign that Jesus died for me. A sign that my sins are forgiven. A sign that if I trust in Christ, a sign that if I put all of my faith in Him, that, that I get to be with Him for eternity. And so this morning, as the gathered church, fellowshipping with one another in worship, in spirit and truth, after we received the proclamation of God's word, 
Let us pray. As we come to the communion elements, we can look for his final return. There was no evening and morning in Genesis 2. And in Revelation, it talks about there'll be no night because Je- and no sun because Jesus is everything. He's it. And so this morning, as we come to the table, that's what we're going to proclaim. Father, it's a very complicated trip through all of Scripture, and I'm sure that my efforts were lame at best. But it's not me that anyone comes to hear. It's not eloquence of speech. I faithfully studied, Lord, but I pray that you would take the words that I've said and the scriptures that we read and that you would apply them to our hearts and that you would, you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would feed us, that we would be different, that we would understand today better than ever that Jesus is our rest. And when we come to the communion elements, this Lord's table, Father, let us just bask in glory and just feast in you as our delight. It's in the risen Christ's name I pray.